Welcome back to Mechanical Freak from Seattle, that city <laughs> of on the bleeding edge of neo city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia. Today is, I think, what Colin says at the beginning of our show. Nailed it. <laughs> no, no, I'm getting. I mean, this is better than I've done uh, previous episodes without Colin. Uh, no Colin or Cassidy tonight. It's all Scorpio energy on the host side. <laughs> Uh, Let's go. uh, You know, turn, pan your uh, stereo right to hear only Scorpios on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Play it backwards to get the real message. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We, but we are joined uh, by some very special guests. We've got Diamond Cole and Justin Ward of the Divest SPD. Uh, at Divest SBD on Twitter. Um, Diamond, Justin, welcome. Say hi to everybody. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks for uh, hi. coming. We've got some good stuff to talk about. First of all, first of all, we've got you know you guys uh, dropped a scoop today that we're going to get into about uh, revealing the last of the names of the six SPD officers who went to the. Uh, you know, capital storming. We're going to get into that. Um, we're going to talk with you all about the sort of state of the possibility of divesting from Seattle Police Department in general, what that looks like at the end of April 2021 here. But first, uh, Diamond, uh, tell us like, what is this project you guys do? divest spd like what are what are its goals what are its uh operations what do you what are you about okay yeah so in a nutshell divest spd is about pressuring individuals corporations and nonprofits from divesting from the police um and we we use a variety of methods for that um a lot of what we do uh is research and that's that's really justin's department you'll hear from him in a second um and and propaganda as well um so a big thing that we have been working on for a long time is uh copaganda where we we publish these bad cop cards uh basically where you know the wonderful like researchers headed by justin like get get together and use open records uh sourcing to put together a list of the disciplinary records of, of our police in Seattle here and put a, put them all, compile them all together in a card and then uh, boost that on Instagram and Twitter so that the community knows about the misgivings, the uh, maltreatment, abuse of these officers. So it's like a community reporting, community watchdog, local journalist uh, adventure. And then also we have bigger, broader campaigns. Um, like we've been working on the Seattle Foundation for – uh, maybe f- almost six months now, actually. Um, and it's been a process of trying to get them to uh, codify into their policies that they'll no longer process grants to the Seattle Police Foundation, for example, because uh, Justin did a lot of research over the summer and discovered that they were one of the largest, they were the largest donor to the Seattle Police Foundation. And uh, that foundation is their arm of financing that that funds the... Um, the protest and riot weaponry Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So, so Justin like had the, the good insight to be like, Hey, uh, if we're going to abolish the police, we need to hit them in the pocket. We need to hit them in the financial part and name and shame them. So he, he figured out like where the funding's coming from specifically for the bullets that were being, you know, like hurled at him and other people every night um, which are being funded by the Seattle Police Foundation. So we've been targeting them um, and trying to get people to divest from them. I think that gives a pretty good broad stroke with some finer strokes. Justin, if I miss anything or you'd like to add anything, please tap in. Uh, yeah, that, that about covers most of it. I, I would just also like to say to add, add to that, it's like, uh, our our main focus is on the Seattle Police Foundation, uh, but yeah, like like Diamond said, we also have you know sort of like a watchdog role that we we've been leaning into. Like you know, if we're trying to convince people to divest from the Police Foundation, what we want to do is further like make uh, basically like tarnish SPD's brand, you know, in the eyes 
of uh, the public such that they do not want to, you know, people, nonprofits, uh, you know, who are generally like run by liberals, they don't want to get their hands uh, bloody by, you know, giving to the police, you know, so that's that's a, that's a huge part of it, like especially, you know, looking at the things that uh, the, the Seattle Police Foundation provides, like specifically what we're looking into now is uh, we're researching into canines, uh, which is like the one thing that the Police Foundation provides. And that actually ties into our release today, because like one of the officers was a uh, canine sergeant. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. OK, so um, but before we get into the specifics of the research of that what we have you guys here we want to sort of talk about uh at least one angle on sort of the biggest story in the nation and i don't know in some ways the world uh for at least one day uh which is the um the verdict in the Derek chauvin murder case uh newsflash folks uh guilty on all counts uh you know we kind of covered last week what we thought about what it would mean either way uh i think the takeaway was that um you know for us uh that a guilty verdict is essentially a lie that sort of papers over uh the truth about the criminal system and our policing system and that uh sort of in this big flashy way uh covers up for the fact that this is only the seventh conviction of a cop in uh out of the last uh you know 15,000 cop murders so uh, i think uh, i i think alex vitali uh put it very succinctly on twitter he said chauvin was found guilty because he had to be to preserve the current system of policing the department turned against him to save itself. And this is what we were talking about last week. You know, all these institutions came out either in the trial itself or just publicly to wash their hands of this uh, bad apple. And, you know, that I think that's pretty obvious to everyone. Um, so, you know, if you guys, uh, Justin and Diamond, you know, have uh, things you want to say, I'll invite you to do that. But really what we're going to uh, focus on here is the fact that... Um, I feel like the whole Democratic Party, like, and that sort of wing of the state and of capital got together and was like, okay, here's the plan. We're going to uh, make this one guy our national scapegoat. We're going to bathe in his blood and it's going to wash all the sins of our police system away. And some of the craziest and stupidest among them got real fucking confused and thought uh, the object of that uh, plan was George Floyd himself and not Derek Chauvin. Uh, <laughs> Brian, can you tell us yeah, more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi started everybody off with uh, a speech that she gave where she thanked George Floyd for, quote, sacrificing his life for justice uh a sentiment that was but obviously it was like the weird talking point they all decided to go with because the mayor of minneapolis also came out and he tweeted again after the verdict george floyd came to minneapolis to better his life but ultimately his life will have bettered our city which is the oh. classic politician turn of phrase Gross. But all used, yeah, gross, right? I mean, all used in this very disgusting Looking sort demonic. of way. Yeah, to basically, you know, given the choice, George Floyd would probably rather be alive than uh, helping Nancy Pelosi figure out what justice means. You know? Yeah. So that, you know, with that sort of jumping off point, Justin Diamond, I mean, I'll give you, you know, you this opportunity to like say whatever you guys want about this whole scene. Yeah. Um, thank you. So, uh, I'll say me and, um, Wes and Olivia are all the, the chairs of, of Seattle DSA right now. And we're all black. It's like the first time, at least that I know of that Seattle DSA has, um, 
three black chairs, like two co-chairs and a vice chair. And we all got together actually just yesterday and like, uh, brain, like thought about what we want to say, like about this exact thing. So, um, I want to go ahead and, and say those things we came up with and also cite like them and their awesome minds and that this, yeah, this is like, we all thought about it anyway. Um, basically, yeah. So first of all, this, this is an incredibly rare verdict. Uh, people need to keep that in mind. Like, you know, George Floyd was, was murdered and, and a family lost, lost their brother, a a daughter lost their father. Um, for that, there is no justice. Like a mother lost their son. Um, and you know, this is not a turning point for the police state. This is, this conviction is a bargaining chip from the ruling class to quell Mm -hmm. the black lives matter movement and to keep the working class from losing faith in the system. Um, after experiencing the largest protests in U.S. history, the ruling class is willing to sacrifice one cop to maintain the legitimacy of the state. And uh, I, the biggest thing that came out of it for me is like, yeah, acknowledging the pain that every time we relive this and talk about it, you know, that comes up. And then also acknowledging that we can call for police accountability at the same time that we call for abolition. Like it yeah. is incredibly important that cops be tried and convicted in the same type of ways that that citizens are. And that that feels and is cognitively dissonant to wanting the whole system to go away. But again, like that's why we do things like mutual aid, because like, sure, we want this I- more ideal world. But for now, this this is a harm reduction point for sure. So, um, yeah, we can hold both of those, although it feels conflicting. So, yeah. And then I'll pass it to Justin. Yeah, I'll just say, I guess my take on this is what I would call like the liberal brain, like the liberal delusion. And specifically, it's like, you know, liberals are, you know, they're they're progressive, I think it's in the sense that they believe in this kind of like Whig history, where uh, progress is always going forward. Right. And like it's it's very hard to maintain you know this um this delusion you know in spite of like the opposite it's like you know so i I feel like liberals will will lash on to these little like victories where they can find them and and imbue them with a lot of significance it's like because the rest of the government is so dysfunction i mean uh so dysfunctional that it can't actually, and so it's the, so, such a, a, a log jam, you know, just like these little victories, it's like they can't pass legislation, they can't address inequality, they can't fix healthcare, but they can have, you know, this feels like progress, this feels like a historic moment, even though, uh, like you said, um, this is such an exceedingly rare, it's like 0.0005% of cases like end in a conviction like this. Yeah, you know, we're, because there was like a half, uh, the, the jury was like half white and half non-white, you know, it's little things like that. Yeah. that it, it feels like progress, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I just want to draw on that real quick, if I may, and say like, it's like the same way that they grandstand on Obama being president. Both people on the left and the right, unfortunately, take that as a signifier of way more things than than I think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Mayor Jenny, of course, was trying to make this sort of brain point herself immediately afterwards uh, when she said that today's guilty verdict is a step towards justice for George Floyd and his family. Of course, George Floyd is is dead. Right. So not for him. Right. But uh, we have much work to do to dismantle systemic racism and build true justice and opportunity. And, you know, it Dems love to say these things. But where's the action, right? I mean, in the case of Chauvin getting convicted, as you guys said, it's such an exceedingly rare – I mean, you're more likely to see Bigfoot the next time you go camping than for this to happen again. Yeah. And yet this is what li- what meager sustenance we're supposed to be given, you know, that we're supposed to accept and say is justice, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it goes a long way, I think, to probably reinforcing the bad apple narrative, right? Because – to a lot of uh, people who were out in the street, or at least who were moved by the disgusting video of this murder, that murder looks out of the ordinary to what 
even is presented as when it ever is as the normal narrative of cop murder, which is there's some valid reason a cop had to uh, execute someone on the street. But reasons that we can see as bullshit to justify terror, but it doesn't look like uh, you know, a cop fearing for his life. It doesn't look like a cop saving anyone or any other bullshit uh, cop murder narratives that are more commonly uh, deployed. And so you have uh, something that probably looks different, looks out of the ordinary to a lot of middle-class, white, ignorant people who maybe joined the movement or were sympathetic to it. And to those people, at least, this verdict is going to look like reinforcing that this is out of the ordinary, that it's unique, so unique, in fact, that, yes, the system can respond and punish uh, this behavior Unlike what activists, you know, were saying last summer. Yeah. What I think, uh, you know, so Axios had this article that came out and basically said, uh, talking to congressional aides of Democrats, you know, Democrats, that they were all really hoping and really relieved to get the guilty verdict because it was going to take the pressure off for them Mm -hmm. on having to do anything about police reform. And, you know, when we talk about George Floyd's death, that it's especially graphic or anything. I mean, it's no more graphic than Eric Garner being, you know, suffocated to death by a fucking cop live on camera. The real thing that changed it was so much shit had happened. People are so fed up Mm -hmm. that they burned down a fucking police station and the whole country fucking (laughs) like went out into the streets. And that was that is literally what they avoided with this verdict was basically doing that again Mm -hmm. all summer and I and I think you know it's it's hard to look at the report from Axios. Looking at our idiot fucking mayor, SPD had their own statement about how this shows that everything's going the right direction. And oh, by the way, please don't go out and uh, outside and make us have to tear gas you again. Um, you know all these kind of things. I think show that yeah, this is just a, a, a giant. Please stay inside this time from the ruling class really yeah for sure and i just want to comment like in drafting that statement that i was mentioning earlier like we looked at some of the numbers which you know i hadn't looked at in a while because when we were living through that every day was so surreal um it was it was hard for me to to keep track of all that stuff but looking looking at the data like there's estimates that between 13 and 26 million people showed up in the United States alone on June 6th for protesting, like at the Mm -hmm. height of the protest, like, like, and that was not a planned event. Like, and, uh, the women's March the largest planned March in the United States history had 3 million. So it's just exorbitantly higher. And, and yeah, to talk about for a bit, like every, all the ingredients that led up to the moment, it's like, you know, we had 45 Trump, you know, I like to call him 45 because I don't like to evoke the name of, of him but um we had him you know antagonizing and and inciting so much uh among anyone who disagreed with him right antagonizing everyone who wasn't on his team for for four years and all that culminating in the final year with covid and then and then everyone staying inside and every you know everyone knows like the latent energy it was like a slingshot being pulled back you know all of this potential energy was being held up held inside people and then this Mm -hmm. thing happened and it just felt so like at, at a time where all of a sudden everyone's hyper focus was on health and and the the fragility of humanity you know it just it just like um it released a um a tidal wave right of of activity so so yeah in terms of thinking about this summer it's like yeah i do think about how the ingredients list has shifted there but i i think there is no going back pandora doesn't go back in the box like 26 million people coming out and then also having the majority of people in like gallup polls say they now agree with black lives matter mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. as a national movement like as a global movement that is fucking huge when trayvon martin was lynched in 2013 and i was arguing with racists online every fucking day because i didn't know any better i did not think that by Mm -hmm. 2020 we'd have the majority of people saying they agree with black lives matter so i'll just say that yeah when at 1.2 uh a majority of people basically agreed with burning down that police station too i mean Mm -hmm. i thought you'd never seen america well this is this is the thing like that those numbers suggest like some real like 
basic ass white middle class people looking at this and going, yeah, this makes sense. And I think that is what they've bought time with with this verdict is I feel like a lot of people saw a lot of people who never even saw, you know, or heard much about the murder of Eric Garner because things have escalated because these videos have been out there for so long because we're at this later point in this saga. Uh, when that police, you know, the police, that police precinct got burned down and then everybody in the country saw uh, George Floyd's death. And I think a lot of like, you know, white middle class uh, Americans with, you know, not a thought in their head about this saw that and were disgusted and were and then went out in the street and had a lot of radicalized people tell them, look, this is what the police do all the time. And they get away with it all the time. And there's a lot of those people who are going to see this verdict now and think, oh, well, maybe we were all upset about nothing. I mean, murder happens in America and those people get uh, put in jail. And this happened to be a cop. And look, it justice was done. Um, now, the thing is, I think at best that's that's bought the cops time because folks, they're going to kill again and they're going to do it. I mean, they keep, they just keep doing it. Uh, and there's going to be, uh, you know, this isn't going to stop, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the like, uh, massive wave of like constant uh, unebbing wave of wave of murder by police of, yeah, I, they killed more than 64 people during the trial yeah. itself. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think the other thing to consider is that, you know, after Trayvon Martin and the not guilty verdict, you know, there was no release for people, right? Uh, you just had Obama on TV going, oh, uh, you know what? Uh, go fuck yourself and stay inside. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after the stuff in Ferguson, I mean, there was, you know, people in the streets and stuff after Michael Brown got killed. But, you know, it, it sort of tapered out and nothing was done, right? And I think there was all this pent-up energy from all these previous events, which is part of why, the you know, after George Floyd getting murdered, I mean, it's never one murder, right? It's, it's the culmination of events. Yeah. And I think they're hoping that this is the pressure release valve, right? That sending Chauvin to jail will be the pressure, pressure release valve so when the police kill again, which they obviously will when it's caught on tape again, when it's brutal again. As by the way, there's plenty of candidates from just the last couple of weeks yeah. uh, that people will stay home instead of, you know, or at the very least will be quiet. Because they'll assume, yeah. you know, in some on some level, oh, well, if it's really actually bad, if it was bad that the cop killed that person, then they'll go to jail. Mm. And all right, it's a slow, uh, it's slow progress. If you can even, you know, call yeah. anything in this country progress. And, and we should note one more thing that uh, you know, one other little you know cookie they're going to throw out now that Biden's in office is the Justice Department is mm-hmm. looking to investigate Minneapolis PD, which means they'll probably be under a consent decree at some point. And I think, oh boy, that from the position. Yeah, from the position of C- the city of Seattle, which has been under consent decree for a decade, I think we could all agree that, uh, yeah, useless, beyond useless. By the way, the only two cities, the only two police departments that have actually successfully completed or concluded their consent decrees is LAPD and the D.C. Police Department. Well, uh, LAPD, fam- super cool. Yeah, yeah famously, <laughs> uh, famously reformed police department. <laughs> Nothing to yeah. see there, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so good times. Oh, God. Okay. Well, um, so that, you know, let's move on from that to, uh, you know, go back to another incident uh, uh, of wild uprising, but of a very different character. Take yourselves back to January 6th, everyone, uh, to our episode (laughs) with uh, Alexander Edward from Minion Death Cult. When a bunch of uh, confused, right, some mostly confused, some uh, well-planned uh, right-wing psychos and nutjobs and loons uh, stormed the Capitol building in D.C. As we've all heard, an extraordinarily large number of those people were police officers or active duty or retired military, uh, and it seems that the largest number. Uh, reported from a police department of known, uh, you know, admitted 
numbers from any department uh, is uh, any single department is from C- at Seattle Police Department. Six officers. We were told this pretty much in the in the days following January sixth. Uh, the consent decree works. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's working out real well here. Thanks, Jenny. Um, and uh, but we were told by interim chief Diaz. Well, we don't get to know who those six officers were. Uh, but it turns out we do, we do get to know. So Justin, (laughs) uh, tell us about this project that you guys have been doing to investigate, uh, and track down just who these people are. And then maybe give us the, the greatest hits of who these six officers are. We don't need their whole, uh, rap sheet. Uh, you know, it would take, I'm sure, uh, more time than we have to list all their many crimes against humanity, but uh, you know, maybe give us uh, some highlights. Yeah, sure. So, uh, as Diamond said earlier, we've just been amassing uh, lots of data on the police uh, through public records requests. You know, the OPA, uh, the Office of Police Accountability, puts out these case summaries of their. Uh, there are, you know, disciplinary files, but they're anonymized, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you go on there, they're, they're just listed as named employee one, named employee two. Well, what DIVS SVD has done is we've, we've basically, like, you know, by cross-referencing a bunch of, like, publicly avail- available databases with uh, the records that we, we have acquired over the past six months or so, uh, we can pretty much de-anonymize just about uh, any OPA case file, like, in real time, like we can look at, uh, you know, cases that are still under investigation uh, and we can figure out the identities of uh, each officer that's named. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just this past month, we were able to do like a little over a month ago, we identified the first couple just by requesting rosters um, because we knew two things about them. We knew that they were placed on administrative leave and we knew that they were a married couple. So mm. basically like what we did is we got the daily rosters uh, for every day from the 6th to like the end of the month. And we looked at who uh, changed on the rosters uh, to uh, there's like a code that's like HR unavailable. Right. So we're able to figure out those two first. Uh, they Wait were there are uh, two. Hang on. Back up. Two of these people are two married to two SPD cops who are married to each other who went to DC. Am I getting that? They went to DC. Yeah. That's so They're cursed. married to each other. They got married literally in December and then went to DC on January 6th. So we were hun- able- that was their honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, right. <laughs> Chud cop honeymoon is going to storm the Capitol. Amazing. Let's admit it, insurrection's pretty sexy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, nothing like consummating your marriage when your blood's up uh, after a revolution. I mean, yeah. So, anyways, we were able to identify these first two, um, and we found out that their badge numbers were sequential because they moved here together. Oh my god! From Round Rock, Texas. Cool. Um, in 2017. And so, uh, yeah, we were able to find out their badge numbers. Then we figured out the, I, uh, the, the anonymous ID number that's on the OPA complaint database. Uh, those are also sequential too. So we were able to just go through, um, you know, you can search the database by incident date, like the date something happened. So we searched by January 6th. Uh, and then we found these two, uh, sequential, ID numbers like on this certain file, the, the files like uh, 2021 OPA 13. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, just, you know, we, we, re- we figured out we we're on the right track. There were six officers there. We knew that a previous officer had been ID'd as uh, Jason Marchione. And uh, <laughs> so we found that guy. Uh, and then we, then the rest of it was just like matching up um, like, the uh the the units like which which uh precinct they worked in and the 
um, the rank. And so we're mm-hmm. able to, to identify the remaining three, uh, you know, that way. So that's how we, we figured it out. That's how we cracked the code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's awesome. So, about that? Yeah, so I want no. I think I mean that's a pretty good summary of like how it all works. Um, and, I, and you're applying that research to other to that's sort of this is sort of how you do your research on all these uh, cops, right? Not just the the six that went to the Capitol, right? And uh, using similar methods, we were able to figure out. We've been working actually through the uh, the protest complaints mm-hmm. from 2020, and those have been pretty interesting. I mean, one of them uh, involved a guy, uh, a cop named uh, Josh McMullen, who uh, kneeled on a, on somebody's neck uh, during the protest. And he was like his, you know, his partner or whatever that was helping to arrest this guy, like physically picked up his knee and moved it off the guy's neck because uh-huh. he knew they were being watched. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this guy, we looked through his disciplinary record. He's been... Uh, on SPD for about as long as these, this married couple since like 2017. And he, uh, since then he has averaged about, he, he's had, he has 20 complaints on his record. So that's about like four per year. I guess he started now he started in like 2016 maybe, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, he's had like four complaints a year, some pretty ridiculous shit in there too. But anyways, uh, back to the Capitol officers. So yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit uh, about the specific uh, the specific uh, friends we we sent the uh, the representatives, the delegation from SPD that mm-hmm. went to go see uh, the Congress. <laughs> well, okay. So in addition to the married couple, um, you had another officer, uh, Jason Marchione. Um, <laughs> he. I, I don't really know too much about him, like, because he's another rookie like them. So uh, those three officers didn't have too much of a disciplinary history, but they mm. had an, an above average number of complaints because they had only been there for like three years. So, uh, but yeah, this guy, uh, apparently, I think, you know, I, I can't confirm this yet, but it seems like he was there with uh, the couple, I think. He was like their third wheel, mm-hmm. or, you know, just maybe the third. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, like, everybody's poly now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the reason why I say that is because he works the same beat and the same shift as uh, Caitlin Rochelle, and mm-hmm. they were named in a uh, OPA complaint together. So I assume that they they know each other pretty well, and they were probably there together. Like, um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. But you know, actually, the pick of the litter. The, the 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 three that we identified were all three sergeants so, so that's pretty interesting <laughs> like these are the you know there are a lot of like really uh sergeants that re- have really awful records at SBD because a lot of them have been there for 20 years and they came up uh before the consent decree whenever it was just like the wild west and you know they just lived in a state of absolute impunity and now they're all middle management they're all signing off on people's use of force reports, like, mm. you know, supervising the um, involuntary commitment of the mentally ill, doing that sort of thing. And so I guess the, the pick of the letter was this guy, Jacob Brisky, who, as it turns out, he was one of the very first people we profiled, um, you know, when we started doing this, like in um, – like July, August. Um, basically, he's a canine officer, and he's been named in five uh, lawsuits total. Uh, let me let me just rattle off these lawsuits. Like when he was a rookie, he uh, he got in this high profile incident where he like showed up. He was called to like break up a fight at the Boys and Girls Club in uh, Rainier Beach, and he stops. There's a, a um, a young volunteer, a, a, a black uh, man named uh, Rommel Bradford, right? And he's wearing, Rommel Bradford has his like Boys and Girls Club t-shirt on. He's like walking and he hears somebody yell at him. He thinks like, he, he knows it's police, but he, he thinks it's like, you know, they're yelling at somebody else because he's like, you know, he's not getting in a fight. He, they had just broken up the fight, right? And so uh, Brisky throws him up against the car, like hurts him. 
And, you know, he's like yelling at him the whole time. He's like, don't you fucking move. I'm going to break your fucking neck and all that, you know, going on and on. He ends up arresting uh, Bradford on charges of obstruction, which uh, is otherwise known as contempt of cop. It's just a cover charge that cops uh, give like disproportionately to uh, black people when mm. they can't like have when they don't have anything to charge mm. somebody with. Yeah, it's so that, specifically noted in the <laughs> consent decree as well or in the initial Justice Department report about SPD. Right. So, um, yeah, so that that case, uh, Bradford sues, that case goes to court. It not only goes to court, it goes all the way to, uh, yeah, a jury, because usually these things get settled like the the city will give some token amount, like fifty thousand dollars or something to buy them off and then uh, sign an agreement to where they don't have to admit wrongdoing and so forth. But this one actually went all the way to a jury. Uh, they paid out like $270,000 to Bradford. Good for him. That was his first suit as a rookie. That was his mm-hmm. first lawsuit. Uh, some other ones, I guess like the most uh, really absurd one was this backyard party in Columbia City in 2011. And, you know, you can you can read the, the thread. We go into it pretty deeply uh, online. It's But it's like basically they showed up for a noise complaint. And the guy who was renting the house didn't want to let them in. So they charged in and just, you know, it was like that scene in Super Troopers, you know, when they're like having that big like fight mm-hmm. and they're playing that, that Johnny Cash song. It's like Big Bear, he's iron dope. You know? <laughs> it was like, that's what I pictured in my head. Cause this guy, this guy, David Bauer, got out like a shovel and he was like swinging it around, like hitting people with it. And our, our boy Brisky, uh, just according to the lawsuit, he like st- stomped on somebody's shin and fractured mm-hmm. it and like tasered the guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was another one. Um, I mean, I could go on on, on on and on all day about this, dude. But, yeah. uh, you know, just in the interest of time, like, uh, I guess, you know, your listeners can go read the thread because that's a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> we will, we'll link to the whole thread. Uh, on the yeah. Divest SPD uh, Twitter that has all this, all these delicious tidbits about uh, your friendly neighborhood pigs. Yeah, one of them, maybe it's one of the ones we've already mentioned even, but one of them I believe was the uh, longtime partner, a friend of the show, Adley Shepard, who mm-hmm. is fond of mm-hmm. breaking people's eye sockets, you know, while they're handcuffed in the back of his police car, uh, just to show the the quality of our, of our SPD officers. Yeah, uh, and, and that he was uh, there was a this this Seattle PI did like a ride along with him and Shepard, which is pretty interesting. Like they basically <laughs> just like has they went around like hassling kids and stuff. That's they were in the gang unit, right? And mm-hmm. that's what the gang unit does. It it goes around looking for like ne'er do wells or whatever, and like you know questioning them. They ended up like uh, fucking with these like three boys who had just gotten off of like watching a movie and they're waiting on their ride and so they were basically like putting on a show for the the press they're like yeah this is what the gang unit does we're tough you know we hassle kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean it says something interesting about spd that when the the guy from the newspaper is there instead of thinking let's be on our best behavior and not look like complete psychopaths in their mind being on their best behavior is like Let's go fuck up some kids so these guys can watch. You know, I I think it says something about the mentality of uh, SPD and police general. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's what what's really funny is uh, a lot of the, the times that we do like we'll look at you know if you look at just pretty much like any given like ride along propaganda situation like that, uh, you'll you you could just like look up the the cop that's involved like look his name up and that's you know a fun little exercise and see like what kind of atrocities that they've they've done because mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah yeah no doubt <laughs> okay well so this that sort of uh paints a picture for us uh you know i mean we appreciate just the the journalistic service you're doing by um you know uh making this information public i mean this is something that everyone wants to know like Mm-hmm. All, all these cop crimes but yeah i mean everyone wanted to know uh who these cops who went to dc were now we do and that's uh you know we appreciate that um to you and yeah. your researchers at the divest spd pro- project like um good work 
Yeah, unfortunately, the city has no news agencies of its own, so, you know, that's what we mm. have to rely on, apparently. <laughs> right? We gotta do it ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah, well, what? certainly, uh, you know, not not either with the inclination or the resources to uh, to do this kind yeah. of stuff. What uh, wasn't holding my scale. breath for the Seattle Times to break exactly, the story? Yeah. <laughs> they heard from they heard from Diaz and he was like, no, you're not going to find out. And they're like, well, OK, that was that's what we'll report, I guess. That's fair. <laughs> you know, it's pretty wild that like Seattle used to have uh, press that did like watchdog journalism like Como. Mm-hmm. Como News, like I, you know, for doing some of our research, like we did some um we would like look back through like old news stories and like back in a, as, as early uh, or as recent as 2011 or 2012, like Como had this huge expose. This was before they got bought by Sinclair though, obviously, but they had this huge expose on just like missing uh, car videos from the police. And they actually got sued by, by Spog or by like the, the police to like, you know, block all this. And they were actually doing watchdog reporting reporting. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, bam, Como uh takes a I mean uh Sinclair takes over Como and all of a sudden it's like the the most far right ridiculous uh station there is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well yeah. well that brings us, you know, we're now we're very we're well situated in the sort of uh the long rap sheet of crimes by the Seattle police department. Uh, we've got that on our mind. Uh, we know we've talked about the uprisings nationally last year. Certainly we all participated in that here in Seattle, uh, to one degree or another, uh, as I'm sure did, uh, I'm going to say most of the people listening, if not all, um, the question on my mind to talk to you about is, what is the state, uh, the reality, the promise, the history of the last year? Where are we on divesting from SPD? Uh, Diamond, can you, you know, I, we follow this stuff and we talk about it on the show and we have for the last year, but it's like, there's been so many ins and outs, um, of this sort of back and forth, uh, uh, from proposals from the grassroots to, sort of watered down uh, efforts by the council to how those go back and forth. You know, I'm re- we, we just a few weeks ago read some shit in some West nut drop uh, in the times about how, you know, SPD has been defunded by uh, 25% and, uh, and uh, we're losing all these cops. Uh, and, you know, that's why, and that's why crime is going up or something. And my, my attitude, my response to that is always, uh, no, it isn't. No, it hasn't. Nothing has actually happened. But that's a sort of vague generalization. It's one that I sort of vaguely believe. But, like, can do you have a sense, Diamond, of, like, what has actually happened in this town and where we are at with any possibility of reducing the size and power of Seattle Police Department? For sure. Yeah. And thanks for this question. So actually, Seattle is number one in the country in terms of um, defunding the police. We have managed to reduce the budget. Uh, uh, I think the the figure is 20 percent. We yeah, it's 20 percent. I, I, I'm sorry I, I entered that was saying I think because I actually know I've said this several times and it's been said <laughs> to me several times. It's 20 percent. Um, and right now, uh, the, the we're in the state of having to defend the defund. Um, hashtag defend the defund. That's been put out right now uh, by Decrim Seattle, a great uh, local grassroots organization mm-hmm. coalition. Um, basically... This 2021 is the first year that SPD's budget has ever shrunken. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and right now we're fighting to win and maintain that hard-won victory. Um, so Council Bill 119981 is the first uh, test of city council's commitment to defund SPD and invest in community-led public safety solutions. Uh, the original bill invests $5.4 million into the participatory budget process. Mm-hmm. That That's the same money that was funding the Black Brilliance Research Project that a lot of us heard about over the summer, um, which was a community uh, effort led by like Sean Glaze and Latanya Severe. 
um, to to have community answer what it means to uh, have safety, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, the, in late March, the Public Safety and Human Services Committee adopted a substitute version of the bill that would grant SPD additional $5.68 million for uh, newly identified budget items. And it allocates only $2 million of the original $5.4 million promise to participatory budgeting. So when they voted on that uh, 2021 budget, council passed a proviso, which is a legally binding restriction on spending that would move $5 million in salary savings out of SPD and into community-led participatory budgeting. Mm-hmm. But the substitute bill that is currently pending uh, would eliminate that $5 million. So um, right now we're, we're working on rallying folks to um, defend this defund. Um, depending on how much longer SPD delays the process, the earliest the bill could be voted on by the Public Safety Committee is Tuesday, May 11th. Um, okay. Couple weeks. And I would recommend, you know, there's a call to action that's being put out right now by Decrim Seattle. Um, there's a couple requests like um, to to call into a um, a community hearing session to see at Seattle City Council to, to um, advocate for the original bill instead of the substitution. The original bill being the one that provides uh, the participatory budgeting. Um, so if you want more details on that, go to bit.ly forward slash defend the defund. Um, but mm-hmm. essentially if you look, if you look broadly at the whole nation, Seattle is number one in def- mm-hmm. defend defunding the police. So we're doing well, okay. <laughs> um, comparatively speaking, you know, and it's very much alive and well in this city. Okay. So, uh, sounds like we're at the state of defending, Five about five million in cuts that happened last year to SPD in the form of uh, crybaby cops who left uh, because their position uh, as cops were being challenged by people in the street and they didn't want any part of it. And the council trying to save that, just take that money out of the budget and not replace those cops to the tune of five million, however many cops that is. The rest of that twenty million. Uh, that 20% rather number, I think, is more secure, but it's the larger portion of that. And uh, while I'm all about celebrating that victory, I do want to understand it more. I guess I want to know like what that 20% represents. It's my understanding that at least a large chunk of it is uh, the removal of uh, parking enforcement and 911 services from SPD. Is that, am I right about that? Is that in that 20% like that that was moved out of the budget for 2021? Yeah, that's that's correct. But also, I, I just want to point out that like uh, that the the part about the civilianizing the the nine one one service, you know, even though it's like a net sort of like neutral, you know, in terms of it's just like taking money out of like one column and putting it into the next, it is a very significant uh, victory nonetheless because it's like that's something that Decrib and our other uh, coalition partners have been uh, really. Uh, after and, and emphasizing is because it's like, you know, the 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 dispatch plays a role in, in sending cops or sending, you know, the, the idea is to put that into civilian hands so you can like start that creates the infrastructure, the basis for starting to direct uh, calls somewhere else. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Not, uh, yeah, yeah I, I completely agree that that's super important. I think like we've always uh champion that on this show uh as in the you know from in the early demands um i think it's hugely important a a couple of things to sort of just suss out though is that a that hasn't taken place yet uh nor has parking enforcement moved out so while technically the budgeting for 2021 has changed the way that looks it hasn't actually happened which is a matter of like and you know even the mayor is you know, sounds like uh, she's working on a track to make that happen, though they're still working out the details I know of like where um, parking enforcement goes, for example. The parking enforcement union is wanting, uh, they lobbied the council to be put into the new public safety department alongside the police. And 
the council went with that, I know. And the mayor, I rarely agree with Mayor Jenny, but the mayor came out and is slowing down that process because she thinks it should just be moved to the Department of Transportation, which I think is actually right. That's what we've said from the beginning. I think it's what the the initial um, demands were from uh, uh, DCRIM. Um, and I think the council kind of buckled on that uh, with pressure from the union, which is another police union uh, outside of Spog, but it's another, it's a local of uh, one of the, you know, uh, police uh, union nationals. Those are important things, but it's, I just want everyone listening to understand that, you know, it's not just necessarily about the numbers. Um, it hasn't happened yet. So we're waiting to see that happen. But I also think, I guess, you know, I just want to push back just maybe a little on calling, you know, on claiming the, the defund number because the 20%, because I think while that's a huge thing and tech, you know, technically, um, it, uh, you know, that has been taken out of theoretically from the SPD budget. I think we at least have to like look at it critically and and realize like what that means. You know, there's other things, though, like I think if like uh, uh, what was like 112 or something quit last year, like how many they're going to end up the council will have ultimately prevented from being hired back, like how many fewer cops are going to be in the you know, after they hire as many as they're allowed to for 2021. Do we have a sense of that in this current version of the budget yeah i don't really know uh like I, I don't know really all the details on that end of things i'll just say that like in terms of what we're doing at least like part of our objective uh, you know I, I see our work is like direct action uh we want to make seattle like inhospitable for police officers we want yeah to make officers quit by like because we want to guarantee to them that, like, you come here, you work in Seattle, you fuck up, you're going to be famous. We're going to have, like, your, your name, like, all over Twitter. You know, whenever whenever people name search you, the first thing that comes up is, like, every single, like, awful thing that you did. And so, you know, hopefully more and more cops will, uh, will quit and, like, they'll keep a hiring freeze up and we can just start, like, gradually diverting that money more and more. Or at least that's the idea. Yeah, I that I mean that's uh sounds like a plan. Like just make them not want to be cops in this town. Sounds great. Yeah. When it does help out other towns too. So like a lot of SPD's cops have decided just to go to Everett or Bellevue. And uh for people who are doing similar work in Everett and Bellevue, it helps if uh there's already a record of the new hires they just got, you know. It, like I'd be curious that married couple from Round Rock, I'd be very curious to see their records in Round Rock, you know. Uh so the more of this we have, the better. Yeah, well, we uh, just a couple of weeks back, we identified this um, SPD officer from a complaint who had said uh, this was back in the protests. She mm-hmm. said that, like, if I'm not racist now, I'm I'm getting there or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We remember this. <laughs> Very cool yep. thing to say. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and she quit. She quit and moved to like while we were researching. Or we found out she had just quit. And moved to Oregon, and then you know we like it's it, she went to some podunk town where she obviously like had to have taken a huge pay cut because mm-hmm. like she she was making at least like ninety thousand here, and then go to like bumfuck Oregon where you know she's making mm-hmm. like thirty five thousand, and then you know hopefully she loses that job too. So hell yeah, yeah. You know if if any of your viewers want to uh, to like you know call the uh the city council of this oregon town that has like seven thousand people yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, the, one of the biggest problems with uh police and police brutality and all this kind of stuff is that uh when police officers do find themselves in the public eye it's just very easy for them to move one town over it's kind of like in the the old west when you get in trouble for like fraud or something you just go to the next town over and be like hey you know <laughs> and everything's fine again and you know for police they have this endless sort of ride that they can take where you know if uh, people get mad at them in one town they'll just go to the suburbs right and you know hopefully you know we can hound them everywhere they go oh yeah uh, that sounds like a plan. Um, so, you know, to wrap up this, like, I think we've heard f- about like what the sort of current, um, 
uh, sort of actions and demands taking place, like pressuring the council, pressuring the city. Like, Diamond, do you have like a sense of beyond that, like on a larger sense over the next year, like what the tone of this fight against SPD is going to be? Like, do we think it's going to be in the streets again? Do we feel like there's a long term uh, victory possible in this city, uh, you know, open-ended, like what do you see over the next um, uh, year or more? For sure. I mean, things have just so fundamentally changed in the hearts of Seattleites and in, um, you know, in the, in the whole country and especially in like the minds of prospective or current like officers, like straight up, like, like Justin was saying, like, it's not a tenable, we're making it an un, untenable situation for, for them. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I believe attrition rates are going to continue, uh, especially with us keeping up our efforts and lots of other coalitions keeping up the effort. And um, yeah, we're definitely going to be, I mean, it's, it's, it's happening now. Like, you know, I, I, I hear of, Unfortunately, I recently broke my foot, so I haven't been out to events lately on on foot. But oh, sorry. but I've like so I have to say I've heard of instead of saying I attended. <laughs> so I feel kind of lame about that. But like you know, I know that people in the community are hosting demonstrations and teachings and rallies and marches. Like already, there's stuff planned. There's stuff that's been going on. I mean, ever since this shit popped off, it hasn't stopped. You know, I mean, it it hasn't gotten the same level of of media coverage the entire time, but. For those who know, you know, like, like, you know, like there's Twitch streams covering this shit. There's, there's still the, the momentum and the movements there. The reality is anything has peaks and troughs to it, right? Uh, nothing can be at a 10 out of 10 all the time. So, you know, people are getting vaccinated and like, uh, you know, taking time to like hug people they haven't hugged in a year. <laughs> like, and even, in, you know, those of us who are like hardcore activists, like we also take breaks from activism, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. uh, it is, it is what it is, but like, I think it's all still there and it's all still going to continue. And um, yeah, I, I I'm hopeful and I am more than that. I'm like resolute. And so are so many other people um, who we've been working with for almost a year now. So yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. Justin, I'm going to invite you and then I'm going to go ahead and invite the quiet Munya after, after (laughs) Justin to say something. Yeah. So I don't know if we're going to see a return to protests uh, on the scale like we saw last year. I mean, I I was actually expecting that if, you know, the Chauvin verdict had had gone another way. I mean, it it still remains to be seen, like what happens in the sentencing phase. But I do think, like, in another sense, we're a lot better off than we were last year. Um, Like... You know, with with each movement, it, it builds on the, the last movements like decrim, like decrim kind of came out of the whole uh, block the bunker movement. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like so we have this these these forces sort of like amassing uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're building, I think I think we're in a lot uh, better of a position uh, just in terms of organization, because like that uh, that. You know, that movement last year just threw up a, a lot of organizations, including our own. So, like, I feel good about that. And, you know, I just like, you know, not to diminish what goes on in the streets, but I think we need to, like, think bigger. Uh, you know, like, I'm I'm a fond. Um, I, I really like the uh, the theories of Antonio Gramsci, you know, what uh, his theories about hegemony. It's like right now, this whole like, oh, just a few bad apples. That's the hegemonic position. And, you know, the way yeah. I see it is like we're in a we're in a war of position right now against that. And that's, you know, a big part of like that's what guides like our work at Divest SPD is because we want to like systematically uh, disprove the, the 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 position of the bad apples and say uh, take it all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is ACAB. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're mm-hmm. we're empirically looking at all the, the SPD cops uh, to demonstrate that they are in fact uh, bastards. <laughs> yeah, 
And, you know, hopefully the angle too of showing that it's the institution itself that we could find the 10 best uh, choir kids in all of America, put them in police uniforms and make them cops and they're going to become bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think I agree with both uh, Diamond and Justin. Um, you know, the fight is multifaceted and when you really think about it, we're taking on um, the state, which is, um, you know, uh, ran by the ruling class. Capital, uh, as Brian has mentioned in past episodes, capital, like if there's one thing that capital is not going to let up, it is going to be the abolition of the police because that they are really the um, function and force to discipline and ultimately instill order in the masses, right? So um, for their own gain, right? And to protect their private property, police are really needed for the system of capitalism to function. So, um, you know, we're hitting it right where it hurts. And I think that, you know, um, this movement has to be a movement of um, solidarity. Um, and we have to, I think, have like an inside and outside um, strategy, which is, um, which what, from what I'm seeing with divest, uh, from what I'm seeing with uh, Nikita's campaign, like uh, running abolitionist candidates, right. Um, you know, those systems of power, we, uh, you know, ultimately I want to really substantially change them in ways, but, um, you know, recognizing, uh, where the actual power is um, outside of just um, marching in the streets. I think that um, actually seizing power and the working class seizing power and um, taking it because they're not going to really give it to us. Um, them being the ruling class of people in charge and, um, you know, the, I think the establishment elected candidates who um, protect them. It's just not going to happen by, us just pleading, but it's going to have to happen by force. And whether that's voting or some other method, you know, that's, that's to be seen. But um, I think it does, it's really meaningful work that we're doing. And frankly, this is, you know, personal for me. It's my life, my future kid's life. Um, and just generally just the, just the welfare of the world that's really at stake. And, you know, if we can do it here in Seattle, it can happen all around the world. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just where I see the future going. Awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. So it's a, uh, it's a, a multi-pronged approach is needed. Uh, a, uh, multi pincer move on capital, the state and it's police thugs. I think we can all get behind that. Um, well, thank you so much, diamond, Justin, for joining us uh yeah, thanks a lot y'all yeah thanks this yeah. has been uh you. you know uh, a lot of fun we wanted to have yes. you on you know ever since uh uh election day when um uh <laughs> we were on day's election night stream i'm sorry your candidate didn't win um <laughs> I, know, you know, I can tell you were coping that night <laughs> um but uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for, you know, bringing all this information. Thank you for being out there doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, shining a light on these disgusting pigs. Oh, thank you. This is great. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think we have a couple of, uh, things to just mention here. We have, of course, some new, subscribers over on the patreon where we have a whole other episode every week that you can listen to for a mere uh cost of the market price of a starbucks latte uh you can look deep into all of our souls later this week on the patreon <laughs> yeah we've yes. got tyler excited. we've got kareen and we've got ubik 2084 which sounds really ominous uh but uh, I'd also welcome. like to thank uh, Corinne for becoming a patron because nobody's name has ever been Corinne in the history of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I, what the fuck do I know? I don't know. There's a, there's a fucking E. What, what the fuck do I know from Corinne? I don't know. Yeah, it's spelled exactly as Corinne is spelled. Okay, this. fine. I'm sorry. You, is that what you. I'm apologizing. I, I said I'd never apologize for anything, and here I am apologizing for mispronouncing a name. 
I'm going to cut Greg this. is finally broken. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, <laughs> good night. Bye. 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 Bye.